Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the darkness. <laughs> Live from Belfast. Well, hello, Zoe. How go it? So we've got the round lights, which I never like because they always can always see it. Yeah. Look, I have a I have a round round circle around my eye. Hello! It is, oh my goodness, it's seven, like, what, almost 7.10 here from Belfast, Northern Ireland. And I flew here a few days ago, and boy, are my arms tired. Um, so behind me, I wish you guys could see it. Like, I really wish you could see it. Like, I wonder if I do this. Like if I do, let's see what happens if I do that. <laughs> see that? Here you go. Um, what you can't see is that right along where my hand waving <laughs> in this location is where they built the Titanic. So it's pretty cool. So um, Pete has actually got another event going on in his living room. He's doing a wake reunion, which I might join him for the second part of that. Um, most exciting part of the year for me is um, Galatians. I love Galatians. It's my favorite book. I think it's a vitally important book to, um, to the United States, to be honest with you, right now, <laughs> and probably a lot of other places. Um, but one of the reasons I, I find this to be extremely important is, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what they, well, they always say that the Irish built it, the English sank it. Um, actually, iceberg, I think, sank it, but there you go. And it's funny because there is a, let's see if I can, like right here in this location is a, um, is a Belf is the Titanic Museum, and, and it's weird because in Branson, Missouri, where my father lives, they also have a Titanic Museum. So I turned all the lights off in this room except for the one light here, so you could kind of see something rather than the whole reflection of Pete's bedroom. Um, so there you go, Belfast at night. What can I do? I couldn't find another place to do this at, so this is where we're doing it. Um, been in Belfast for a few days, and um, and uh, and it's been good so far. I did not see the Titanic Museum in Missouri. I saw the outside of it. They actually have like it's like an iceberg in a in the Titanic. It doesn't seem to be that sensitive to what happened there. Um, working on a documentary about uh, my mother and family, really, and uh, we've been doing some interviews here and kind of some pickups and some why do I love Belfast and honestly how that relates to my life and my family, which I think you'll be surprised when it comes out. Um, so it should be pretty awesome. Uh, the stock that we're working on, I'm, I'm excited about it um, and, and really letting people see a very insider look at, at my mother and um, yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. Um, so, so one of the reasons I, I, I'm trying to think like I've eaten a lot of really crazy British breakfasts and foods and things and I'm still alive, and the jet lag is just you no know, good for me, but that's okay. We're starting Galatians, and that's all we want to know. 
Um, so we're not going to get into like history and stuff of Galatians right now. Well, one of the reasons is because I forgot one of the books that I was supposed to bring with me. And so we will get in, sink in a little bit into that uh, in part two, um, just years and stuff and some of the archaeological finds that have come up in the past, you know, like 40 years, 50 years of, of, of actual Galatia, the Galatians in that area and what took place. And, you know, for a long time, people doubted that this book could work because Gauls and and Jews together and then archaeologists archaeologists found the area and they're like, oh, there were all these Gauls here. What the heck? You know, and boom, there you go. It, was, it existed. Um, I, I feel like I'm turning into an apologetics apologist. I'm going to prove to you that this is all right. <laughs> um, but in Belfast, uh, if any of you are familiar with the history of Belfast, um, they've had a, quite a turmoil a lot of turmoil in their past, um, even before the Troubles. But the Troubles um, that was uh, between Catholics and Protestants, but really over the United Kingdom's being, having Belfast, part of Belfast, part of Ireland, and some did not want them to be in Ireland and others wanted them to be in Ireland. Um, a lot of different things, but there was a civil war um, that went from uh, 1968 to 1998 in this in this amazing city and uh, if you visit a lot of the great pubs you know there's usually a plaque somewhere where that building had been blown up or bombed or different things like that um, there's still a lot of uh, murals uh, remembering the troubles and remembering basically the civil war that took place here in Belfast and that was one of the main reasons I thought it would be cool to start the Galatians talk in Northern Ireland um, was the idea of, 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 of the fact that Galatians was such a divided community and that for such a long time, I mean, they had walls separating uh, the Protestants from the Catholics. Uh, also, that's really one of the cool things about this story is, is how punk rock really tried its best to break down those walls and have concerts in the different sides and different areas of the city. And, you know, you had bands like Stiff Little Fingers who were like, you know, I'm not going to go. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be with the Catholics. I don't want to be with the Protestants. You know, I don't want any part of this, you know, that they were saying like, there's got to be a third way. There can't be a choice. You know, um, and I'm not going to make that choice, and uh, and pretty powerful stuff. And so you had these 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 groups at war, and then you had these bands, and a lot of these bands were made up, you know, of Catholics and Protestants. You know, they were, they didn't even know half the time until they got pulled over and stopped, and you know, the, the police would ask them, or the uh, the military would ask them, you know, are you Protestant or Catholic? You know, and they're like. I don't know, or what, what are you, what are you, what are you? And kind of the spirit of punk rock that's really played a, a important part of this community. I've seen a lot of great stuff. If you go to my Instagram, look at some of my stories, you can see some of the photos of some of the different punk rock exhibits that they have here. Um, that was a big, big part of that time. Um, but the beautiful thing is like, you know, here you had this, this community really divided by a civil war and uh, the, they, they, they came to what was called the Good Friday Agreement and the peace agreement that happened in 98, 1998. So we're not talking that long ago. Um, and what you have is this divided community that found peace. And it's not that this community doesn't have scars and doesn't hold the memories. I mean, it really does cherish those, not celebrates, but ha doesn't, deny its past, doesn't deny the war, doesn't deny these, I mean, there's murals everywhere, you know, for the dead and people who passed away and, and the, some of the peace walls are still up. But, you know, so they still have scars, but they found peace, they found a way to make it work. And I was thinking, you know, at what point, when, what, you know, it's always impressive to meet a survivor of anything. But at one point do we become survivors? 
you know, what happens when, when something happens when, when you get sick and tired of the, of the fight, you find a way to make it work. And that's what this city did. And there's still like this, there's this darkness to the city. There's a survival to the city. There's a sense of humor to this city um, that I relate to so much because of my own struggles in my own life and always feeling like I, I grew up in this very divided world. And uh, so it's just, it's just, it's just really a place I love and a really place I, co I connect to emotionally, you know? And, um, you know, yeah, there's a great film about the, um, the punk movement during the um, Troubles. It's called Good Vibrations. And it's about this really, this really cool record store and, uh, and, and record label that started here. And just, it's really beautiful. Highly recommend it, Good Vibrations. Um, but, but one of the reasons I feel like I connect to this place is because I feel like I've had a lot of loss in my life. I've had a lot of suffering in my life, but you know, I still carry those scars and it still fill the wound, but I survive. And this is like a city of survivors, a city of place where people just found the courage to make peace, the courage to find peace, the courage to make this happen. And uh, good on them, you know, good on them. Um, the first part of Galatians, um, it's funny because I was, earlier I was out talking to Pete and I, and I had my, my, my my book out there and, and he was looking through it and he's like, Paul said this? He's like, Paul really thinks highly of himself. And it was funny because I was like, well, the point is, is that Paul has been rejected by this divided community. You know, Paul's trying to come in and be a peacemaker, but other sources, other people, and especially on the, the, of the Judaizers have come in and said, you know, Paul is not an apostle, not a real apostle. You know, he's not one of the 12. He didn't walk with Jesus, you know, um, so we discount him. And so the trouble has come is, is that the Judaizers are trying to get the Gauls uh, to convert to Judaism first and then Christianity. And the Gauls are fighting back saying, no, they don't want that. And the Gauls have different ways of worshiping, almost kind of a new age sense of worshiping where they worship the sun and the mountains and the air and the water and and a lot in their warrior society. So you have this very big conflict happening in this community. And everybody's kind of demanding that the other side shifts and changes. And so this is a community that Paul started, you know, long time before, but now he's left, but he's got news has got back to him that they've come completely divided. And I mean, I don't think it would be a far stretch to say that they were, might have been on the edge of a, a civil war type of thing, a religious civil war at that. Um, so that's what we're going to look at. But what we begin with is Paul's, I mean, for lack of a better term, Paul's resume. <laughs> it's like he's, he's reminding them like, hey guys, I'm, I am an apostle. You know what I mean? He, it's, it's, he's really, he's really laying it on thick and, um, you know, rightfully so. Because, you know, he's having to contact the Gauls, the Galatians, from, you know, in a letter, sending a letter to confront them. And that's another thing that's really beautiful about this letter is that it's, it's, it's like a, it's a rebuke letter <laughs> and then a letter begging for unity and it's also like this, like, you know, Paul's, you know, what did I write down here? It was Paul's resume, um, a, re a, a refresher resume on Paul's behalf, you know? So you have all these, these things happening. And so the beginning starts with Paul kind of giving his resume, and we're going to look at that first. Um, but just to give you an idea is these folks have all, a lot of these folks have met with the Apostle Paul before. It was a community that he helped start. And now the community has become divided between Judaizers who feel like the Gauls need to be circumcised and need to obey certain holidays and certain things like that. 
and they've pretty much become separate and everyone thinks they have the corner of Jesus. Sound familiar? I mean, if you think about it, it's so much right now like what we see with like the conservative church and the progressive church scapegoating each other constantly and always saying, well, we're the real Christians or we're the, you know, and I, it's been weird because I've seen some conservatives lately who've talked and been like, and that's why you got to watch out for these progressives because they don't see it this way, you know. But I've also seen some progressive be like, if your family voted for these politicians, you know, you need, it's okay to let them go, you know. And I'm going, hmm, hmm. You know, if the, uh, you know, I put this, this quote up from Patton Oswalt recently, and he's like, you know, he was talking about like, if progressives are known as the group that's shaming people and the group that's against everything and the, you know, the naysayers and the, oh, you shoulds you know, they've lost a lot. And I kind of feel like right now what we're looking at in the church and in the United States and in politics are these divided groups. Um, and I feel like these groups, politicians, along with, in, you know, late, late capitalism, <laughs> um, have torn us apart and called us to be a, a, allegiant to our to our politicians or to our type of how we've understood theology. And uh, that's not really working for humanity. And I think that's why this is an important book, is can we work together and can we disagree well? And can we have compromise when it calls for it? And can we live even within some tension, you know, um, agreeing to disagree? And I know that's not the great point. I mean, hopefully we can find something even better than that. Um, but that was something that we were able to do in Belfast, you know, to, to take this, you know, 30-odd-some-year war and, and, and find peace, you know, and, and not, you know, how do we make everybody happy but not everybody happy, you know? So everybody's miserable and everybody's happy. You know I mean? Like, how do we do this? How do we find peace there? And I believe that's exactly what Paul is calling the Galatians to. So let's get into this. We won't be long today. Um, but we'll start in Galatians 1. And this is where Paul really puts it out there. Uh, Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authority, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, all of the members of God's family who are with me. Now, he's obviously saying like, my, my call didn't come from men. And everybody's saying that's what they're accusing him of, just saying, oh, you know, he just got called, you know, the apostles hired him on. He's a Johnny come lately. We really shouldn't listen to him. And then the division starts. And so he's trying to remind them to say, like, no, that was not where my call came from. My call is just as legitimate as James or, you know, Peter or any of these folks. And he'll get into that even deeper later. To the church of Galatians, grace to you, peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and set us free from the present evil, according to thy will of God, Father, to whom glory forever and ever. Amen. So you have your traditional greeting here. Um, so Galatians 1.6 says, and this is good, because this is, you know, thinking about the conflict that's happening here, thinking about the division that's happening here, thinking about the need to be right, the need to be, you know, uh, my ideas of God, my ideas of religion are greater than your ideas, you know. And so he starts out with, I'm astonished, right off the bat, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So Paul already sees like this division, this fighting within, this infighting, this uh, my God is bigger than your God, or I've got the corner on truth and you don't, you know, is already saying you're, this is not, the, you know, you're, you're getting away from this. You're following away from this. Um, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. You know, and, and by perverting the gospel, he's saying, like, making grace in vain, basically. Like, the idea of grace is not sufficient. You know, that we need to have works, that we need to practice certain holidays and do these certain things. 
Um, but even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, which he's saying originally, let that one be accursed. As I have said before, and so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. And the cursed thing isn't as bad as it sounds, but it's still not great. But he's saying that, you know, these, you know, if this, when the gospel starts to change and become more exclusive and when it becomes something that's dividing and it becomes like this binary way of thinking, um, you're losing the, you're losing it here. You know, this is, this isn't the idea. It's not us against them. And, and the great thing about this book, too, is it's probably, it's a rebuke letter. <laughs> you know, it's a letter proving that Paul is really an apostle. It's a letter begging for unity. And it's one of the greatest writings on grace ever put down on paper. And I would say almost any amazing book that you read about grace within the Christian tradition or culture all probably roots from this very book. I mean, the Reformation can be tracked right back to the book of Galatians and what Paul did with the Catholic Church. Um, Paul did, not Paul, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, what Martin Luther was inspired by uh, the book of Galatians. Not that he was perfect by any means, but just to give you an example of, you know, this, you know, faith alone idea. Here he says in 10, and I totally relate to this, is I am, am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So one of the big critiques of Paul's work was, is, oh, he's trying to be a people pleaser. Oh, you know, he's just, this grace thing is wishy-washy and it lets everybody live, you know, and so... The Judaizers who feel like they've had to kind of, with Christianity, kind of give up some of their tradition are saying, we want these traditions back. You know, we, we think you need to do more works and we think you need to be circumcised. And of course, Gauls are going like, why would we be circumcised? You know, isn't this a free gift? Isn't this grace? And they're basically saying, no, grace is not enough. You know, you, you know Paul just says those things to, to, to tickle your ears, to win favor, to do that things. And I've been accused of that quite a bit in my own work. Um, the strange thing is, is though, these tickling of ears, I don't know what the ears are because it seems that when I do things that have accused of tickling ears, it's usually when we lose <laughs> viewers and supporters and people like that. Um, so, you know, they accuse me of tickling ears and trying to, you know, win people over and it's, it's just not that way. And as you see here, it's like you're accusing me of this, but you're literally cutting this, this community that I helped start in half. You know, this isn't ear tickling when it's bringing division, you know. And when you serve Christ and you tell the truth of grace and you say things like grace is anarchy and, you know, grace belongs to everybody and you talk about loving your enemies and what that truly actually looks like and what it means. And then you start to think that everybody's included. Um, people start to get mad. Um, because, you know, both sides get mad. At first, you might think, well, it's just those conservatives don't want all those crazy folks in there. Yeah, but you crazy folks get in there and you want the conservatives to become what you are. You know, you want them to change and become what you are, and then they want you to change to become what you are, and then everybody wants each other to be like each other. And then we talk about the importance of diversity. Where is that? Is this thing on? <laughs> Oh, we love diversity as long as it's not diversity of the mind and thought and philosophy or theology. You know, <laughs> we want to look like a rainbow as long as we all agree with each other, you know. And so we're talking about real diversity here and real, real, real change here and, and living within uh, what would be a tension, but hopefully that tension would be relieved if you really truly understood grace. And that would allow yourself and free yourself to be who you are and to trust God in your life and trust grace in your life, but also, get ready, trust grace in other people's lives and give them grace, you know, and show them respect. You know, Paul would always say, like, you know, I have a lot of freedom in the gospel. I have a lot of freedom. But when I go to places that don't have, you know, people have different convictions of mine and they don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, 
you know, well, then I don't just sit down and have a big idol sacrifice steak in front of them and go, hmm, this is good, you know. I don't rub it in, you know. I try to be all things to all men. I try to show respect to even those people I don't necessarily agree with. And I think in this day and age, we're also like, you know, my way is right and you gotta tolerate me and blah, 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 but we wanna be tolerated, but we don't wanna tolerate the intolerant, you know, but the problem is, is that's why I talk about having hard conversations and, and working together in community because these folks aren't just like other people. These folks, for a lot of you who I know, these are your family members, you know? A lot of your people aren't even talking to your folks and family over faith or over, um, or over uh, politics and different things like that, you know? Or you don't have family members who are speaking to you, and that's my father is not speaking to me, and I guess it has to do with probably a combination of those reasons. I'm not quite sure. Um, but it's painful, and I don't think it works, and I don't think it would be following uh, the religion of Christianity. So even if you just say, well, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in anything, but I kind of like this Christianity, um, and I want to be a Christian atheist or whatever like that, it's like I want to get in. Well, Following Christianity is, is, is having grace for yourself and grace for others. It's loving your enemy. It's being kind to those who persecute you. And sometimes it's praying from afar when it's too hard to be around because usually that's the kickback I get from a lot of folks is, oh, these people trigger me or they do this. Well, then we pray from them afar. And maybe we work on ourselves. Like me, I go to therapy. We prepare ourselves to be strong enough and to accept ourselves and be like, you know, I am who I am, so now I'm comfortable enough sitting down with someone who disagrees with me and maybe learning more about them, but also learning more about myself when I see myself through their eyes. One of the things that's been really incredible about seeing a play about my mother and a film about my mother is not that it's the eyes of Tammy Faye, but it's how other people see Tammy Faye through their eyes and what she meant to other people. So not necessarily my story with my mother, but seeing how other people have seen her and, and learning more about my mother by just the spirit of what they captured from her work and her life. And it's really a beautiful thing. And I think we might be able to do that with others and go, well, why, why do you disagree with me? Or why can't you, you know? It might be like just simply like sitting down and looking at a Bible verse or whatever. Or it just might be that they don't even know why, but it's just been something their whole life that they thought. And they go, oh, you know, I don't really have a reason. Um, I've seen this change so many times through, I've seen people come together way th more through friendship than I ever have through like, you know, playing like Bible war or verse wars or theology wars or, you know, um, you know, we all don't have it figured out and that's okay. You know, I've been watching this really great, um, uh, biblical scholar, he's a Mormon guy named Dan, and, um, <clears throat> and Dan is, is um, a brilliant guy, he, he just, he knows a lot about biblical history and the history of all these other gods, and, and, and I really like what he says, but sometimes he says stuff that's like, oh, I've spoke it that way, and he's saying why it's wrong, and you're like, but it's not threatening to me. It's a way to be like, oh, well, you know what? I need to take another look at that. Maybe I need to rethink that. And that's okay. Um, so Paul right now is trying to prove that he is worthy of being a leader. You know, uh, back then it was like, was he called by Jesus? Was he one of the 12? Things like this. And it's funny now what we kind of look for if, if, uh, what we, <laughs> You know, how we decide if someone is a leader or not. Now it's just like mob rules, you know, like, well, does this group who accepts this person, do they see him as a leader? You know, maybe if he has, the person's really popular and they have a lot of followers, then they must be the leader, you know. Um, really the way to kind of think, if we, if we are to kind of look and see someone if they're really living a life that follows Christ, is, is there peace, is there patience, is there kindness, is there joyfulness, you know. Are they loving others? Are they love? Are they not demanding in their own way? Are they keeping their records of when they've been wronged? I mean, there's ideals in the book that we can look at and go, oh, well, this might give me a hint if someone is really a leader in this pro in, in this in this community. Um, but if the people will lead, the leaders will follow. Um, 
For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, uh, Galatians 1.11, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed to me is not human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in my Judaism beyond many and among the people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. Now, one of the reasons this is important is because part of the group he's talking to are what they call Judaizers at the time. So these are Jewish Christians who are wanting to have some of the traditions kept and be a sacred part of Christianity. Basically, you have to do this in order to be saved and to be a Christian. And so Paul right now is speaking to them, saying, listen, I was zealous. Not, you know, I persecuted Christians to the point where I couldn't even stand Christians. You know, and I was above my knowledge. I had more knowledge than most most Pharisees, most teachers of, of the religious law at that time. So I know these laws. I know them well. I've practiced them well. And matter of fact, I persecuted all of you as a group, as Christians. And I think it's very interesting that we have the Apostle Paul, who probably brought Christianity to the majority of people. Uh, you know, Jesus did, but then Paul's writings became very popular, and, and, and Paul really helped spread uh, the message of Christ as someone who was actually an enemy of Christianity. Who was, and then when he says persecuting Christians, uh, he doesn't just mean like he was saying, like, hey, you, you guys are bad, or he wasn't leaving like, you know, he didn't burn them on Twitter or anything. He had them burned literally on stakes and things like that and would bring them in to, in to persecute them. He was there and held coats when Stephen was stoned in front of people. Stephen is kind of seen as the first Christian martyr. Uh, Paul took part in that. So he was a violent man and um, not the type of person that you would think, um, you know, it would be like uh, if one of the new atheists became a Christian, of course, Christians would probably love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know how to do it. I guess it would be if a really fallen minister, you know, came back and tried to preach really good stuff and everybody would be like, oh, I don't know, you know, he's, he did this and he did that. It's like, he's my dad as an example. Um, I have a, a friend in ministry who's a very, like, liberal guy and helps, like, prison reform and um, kind of a hippie and, and, you know, very progressive. Um, but one day he just for some reason got upset, saw my dad on TV and got upset about it and goes like, how can anybody trust this guy? I mean, he's an ex-con. How can we trust an ex-con? And I thought it was ironic that it was like, here is somebody who probably helps people who get out of prison and get their lives together and not be known as ex-cons. But when it fits his narrative, when it fits the narrative of not accepting the person or not accepting the leadership, all of a sudden they're this ex-con, you know? Um, all of a sudden, you know, well, I don't like this one, so how can we trust him? He's been in prison, but, you know, yeah, it, it's the, the, the uh, hypocrisy. There's a lot of hypocrisy there when I find that, you know, seeing things like that. Um, but he goes on to say, But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim Christ among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human beings, nor did I go to Jerusalem for those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus, because Damascus is where he is. So he's just saying, like, I went away and prayed. I went away and studied. I went away and, and learned this stuff on my own. <coughs> and also, once again, trying to prove that he's not a second-rate apostle which I find is really interesting. Um, <coughs> forgive me. Um, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in which I am writing, James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria, and Cilicia, 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 and I was still unknown by sight to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard, they, I, <clears throat> they only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us 
is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. And so, you know, the word traveled fast that this uh, Paul or Saul, the persecutor, it's, it's really the same name. It, the Bible translates it differently, but it could be he was always called Paul or he was always called Saul. Um, but he's saying all those known is, is that people are grateful that people are, are changing, people are following Christ, that I'm no longer a persecutor, that I have, you know, now I'm serving Christ. And so basically what this all lays out is, is this, um, is who Paul is, what Paul is doing, that Paul is called to do this work, that call, Paul has been called to be a peacemaker, and that Paul is a apostle. And as we go through this book, we'll learn more about why he had to so clearly separate himself, show who he was, stay where he was, because he's going to say some very strong words. I mean, he already has. He's like, you're turned away from the good news. You're serving another gospel. And those words ring in my ears all the time now when I, you know, not that I'm some sort of elitist. I'm usually just kind of a quiet, keep to myself person unless we're doing this. Um, but, you know, I, I watch a lot of people and I, I, and what they say and what they do, and it just doesn't seem like good news a lot of the times, um, you know. And and it's it's strange to see that how often we just really trade out one legalism for another legalism, you know. How it's it's well, I left this form of of legalism, and now I'm leaving it, and now I'm going to be legalistic in this type of way and that I'm gonna be someone who shames the people who shamed me my whole life. I'm gonna to wanna to make, I'm gonna, you know, they made me feel like a joke. Now I'm gonna make them feel like a joke. I'm gonna turn them into a joke. And, uh, you know, quite honestly, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. That's not loving your enemy. That's not living a life of grace. Um, it's really a road much less traveled. And it's a road that asks you not only to, um, to show to show patience or, or, you know, like, but it, it's one that calls us to, to, to work towards a complete acceptance and uh, love people that aren't easy to love. And uh, that's a tough job sometimes. Um, but for a lot of us in our lives, we're in situations and split families or divorced and have children and things like that. We're often called to be, uh, you know, we, we're often kind of in a situation where we have to continue to work on a relationship because there's things that are quite more important than us involved in that. And what I guess the question is, is can we find a way to do that in life? And one of the reasons I love it, this, this, this city, is that, you know, you had two groups within violent war of each other and a city that was exhausted by it. And, you know, the city, the groups, the different communities were able to come together and uh, find peace and, and, and find the Good Friday Agreement. And they don't pretend like it didn't happen. Um, they don't forget the past, which I think is vitally important because I think when we forget the past, obviously we start to repeat the past. Um, or we start to think that we're the first people to experience that type of rejection or that type of hurt or that type of conflict. And when we're able to allow the past to live around us and allow those moments to go, this is where we've come from. We, you know, we, we've come a long way and we've, we're able to find peace and we have to keep that attitude towards each other. And what I found is I found a community of very funny people, <laughs> uh, very loving people and very strong people. And it's the type of thing that I pray and hope for for the states, uh, which is a much bigger place, obviously, but uh, you know, I worry that we're already kind of in a violently speaking war with each other. You know, we use such horrible words against each other and horrible, such horrible judgments against each other, and we've become so divided and full of hate and rage and self-righteousness. And uh, those are things that do not help us get bored. It's really, it's, it's shallow thinking. And what I'm hoping we can do is, is, is really go, not up, not out of the water, but we can go deeper down and, and really learn how to think critically 
but also with a, a, a huge amount of grace in that, and that we learn to argue well, and um, that we don't, you know, sometimes I feel like even what I'm doing is going, oh, let me talk about Hegel, or let me talk about Tillich, or let me talk about the Greek, or let me talk about the Hebrew, or, you know, <laughs> let me talk about Aramaic. You know, it feels like I'm trying to prove myself as like, you know, I'm self-taught, but look at all this stuff I know. <laughs> you know, so you can really trust me and believe me. And, uh, but I also speak just a lot from my own life experience, what I've lived through and what I've seen scapegoating do and what I've seen uh, the uh, dangers of, of uh, angry words and critical words and what I've seen it done to people's lives. And uh, I think there's a better way. And I believe that the book of Galatians leads to a type of reformation. And so I hope the type of Good Friday agreement they had there, that that's something that we can have in the church one day. Um, and maybe I'll just realize that there's not a lot we don't know and we don't understand. Um, but loving one another as human beings is uh, vitally important. And that having diversity, true diversity of thought and mind, not just of, of skin color and sexuality, but of, of thoughts as well, will somehow bring us together and hopefully wake each other up to something new. You know, I think when we sit down, I think when Zoe sits down with people and they have an idea of what someone who does, doesn't accept, you know, kind of like, you know, non-binary, they, them, you know, and what they think of that, and then when they sit down with Zoe, they, they realize, you know, this person is not someone I need to fear. This is someone who probably loves me more than a lot of people who, <laughs> who I'm in community with. And that is very radical. And that's where the change begins. Um, you know, Dr. King always said that hate cannot change anyone, you know, and that love is the only force capable of changing an enemy into a friend. It's just love. That's it. There's no other weapon in our arsenal that transforms um, people. Oh, gosh, that was some of those writings. Here we go. It's important to note that the Good Friday Agreement was not simply implemented by the politicians that went to vote and the people and people of Northern Ireland voted on the agreement. Yes, that's very important. It was the people of Northern Ireland. They voted on it and they sent out, I've seen, got to see some of the things that they sent out about the Good Friday Agreement and you read it all and the people voted. So, I mean, the people, this, this the people of this grand city, not the politicians, but the people of the city <laughs> voted for unity, voted for a new government, voted for something that was really beautiful. Um, I'm a little rusty because I haven't been reading my books on the troubles like I used to years ago when I first started coming here. So I need to get a little bit more in there. I've been watching this really great eight part documentary, but I've only finished uh, part one of it so far because I have to bootleg it from the BBC when I'm in the States. Um, so that's vitally important. Thank you for adding that. I really appreciate that. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's almost like politicians have other ideas and are driven by other <laughs> wants. Um, so, yeah. I think that's another reason why I love this place, you know, I love these folks. And, you know, when I get to sit down and share time with uh, Pete's mom, you know, who... who really, you know, lost loved ones through the troubles and things like that, you know, and, and talk to her and, and see the pain and then know that the city just said, this isn't going to happen anymore. The people spoke, and that's what I hope we can do as people, as change things, that we can get together, not have a bunch of politicians or leaders push us in a way, but that we will say, we're not going to listen to these folks anymore. We, we've got to come together. It's vitally important. And I thank my friends from Belfast who are here on the, on the podcast right now uh, chiming in. I was actually going to have um, a friend of ours from Belfast come here and speak to you guys about the Troubles for 10 minutes rather than me trying to Captain America explain it. But um, unfortunately, he's part of Pete's thing that's happening in another room right now, so I wasn't able to get him. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to get somebody uh, who's a little bit more knowledgeable about the Troubles than me but it is something that quite interests me because I think, you know, I think Galatians explains it and I think the United States is, is, is in a situation that's not 
not got, I mean, there are, there's violence popping up in different places, but we're in a situation where we are completely divided. And I hope some way the people will speak up and, and, and find a way for us to be brought together. But I think Galatians is vital. I think it's not vital just for countries or things like that, but for the church as a whole and, and may make things better for us. I hope it will. So this is part one. Um, uh, we have the best. Okay, you guys are all being funny now about politicians. So I have a few jokes, but I've got the jet lag. Um, thanks everybody for showing up. I'm really glad I got to start in Belfast. Um, I'm really glad that there are some folks of you who are online doing this. Um, we've been filming so much of the, the doc that I haven't had a lot of time to do much more. Uh, I got to go out to the market this morning and eat this, I think they call it a BAP. It's like a breakfast sandwich. It's like this big and it's ham and sausage and egg and it's on giant roll and I had to like deconstruct it. Talking about deconstructing, I had to deconstruct it <laughs> to eat it. Um, so yeah, hey, yeah, Josh just reminded me is like, listen, if you like what we're doing, you know, I'm here because I got the vice who's helping us do the documentary flew me out here. So I'm lucky to be out here. Um, but yeah, we could really use um, support and donations uh, to help keep revolution going and also sharing our Galatians uh, series that we'll be doing for at least the next five weeks. And then following that, we will be doing a uh, study on Tillich's uh, sermon, You Are Accepted. And, um, and then hopefully, if things still are going good for us, um, I just got an original copy of the 1921 book, uh, The Problem with the Pastoral Epistles, which is just a book that kind of changed my life uh, when it comes to the epistles of Paul, or the pastoral epistles, which are... I don't believe are written by Paul, and these are a lot of the reasons why. And so hopefully that'll be maybe the third series this year that we do um, right off the bat about talking about um, the pastoral epistles. And maybe that's some of the reasons why we um, have some issues that we do, why people are using the Bible. And, um, you know, and Dan, uh, the, the, the <clears throat> biblical expert historian, um, hopefully can talk to us about that too. I just saw a video where he mentioned one of the pastoral epistles and uh, I haven't watched it yet because I saved it because I was getting ready to do this. Um, so thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining. I'm glad I got to, I really am glad I got to do this in Belfast. Um, this city's just got my heart. I love it here. And um, it's like I can breathe on the streets. I went to a pub the other night and ran into some folks and it, it's just weird I'm like god I've got like friends like people friends who care about me and I talked to my friend Nick and we were talking about like what it's like to suffer from depression and be a parent and I had just done this big interview for the doc and really talking about some heavy stuff and filling in some spots that we needed to fill in about the, that stuff and it's just it's tough because you're just going like from one bad situation <laughs> but then just sitting down with my friend Nick in the pub and, and talking about like, like when you parent children and you have mental health issues and you suffer from depression, like how often you feel like you have no more to give. And it's funny when you are just see yourself recognized. When you, and like we just kind of, it was like we were both deers caught in head, like, like we just recognized each other's pain. And it was like, the idea was just like affirming. Affirming, you're human, I'm human. And this is something that's really hard. And uh, I felt, I left feeling really great. And then Pete's like, hey, Nick sent me a text saying that you guys had a really good chat. And I was like, yeah, we did, you know? And it was just two parents who struggle with depression talking about what that's like. And, uh, you know, it's kind of beautiful when we're able to do that. And that's kind of my hope is that we're able to do that all over. You know, maybe parents from all different walks of life. You know, it's those little little common things that just see you, you know. 
just see a piece of you. It's not the whole you, but just see a piece of you that you often maybe no one else sees. And, uh, you know, it didn't solve the problem. It just made me feel peace, you know? So how, how, uh, how beautiful is that, right? You know, and the thing is, is when you're with your kids, you give your all, you know? So it's then when they go back to the other parent's house, if you're divorced, or when they, you have a break and everybody else wants something else, you're kind of like, you know, so it's really hard to muster up everything to give because you really have to take, it's amazing how you have to just shove a lot of those issues down um, because you love those kids so much. But I think that could be an example of how we love others too, is that sometimes we've just got to let some of our own things go so we can have the ability to love others and love others well. And then maybe have a community we can go to and recognize each other and talk about what we're going. Even if it's just like we're gonna have, we're gonna need, I need to be debriefed. I need to sit down and talk to somebody and tell them what I'm going through. Um, maybe these are some ideas that we can look at and continue to discuss in the future. Um, you know, I'm I'm a delusional maniac because I believe that we can make a difference in the church. And at the same time, I'm having to decide if revolution will make it past February. So here we are. So we can use your support and also sharing these talks and sharing what we're doing really helps and letting people know what we're doing really helps. Um, love and grace to you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. And um, I know Pete Rollins' thing is like, if you look online, you might be able to find it because I think it's only been going for like 30 minutes. So I'm probably going to run in there and say hey to them. So you can probably watch Pete and everybody else talking about Wake Live. Um, I'm sure it's somewhere on Twitter, Instagram or something. Thank you. Uh, yes, sharing for, on social media is free. And man, it helps. And I've seen some of you doing it. And from the talk last week, I've seen some of you, I've seen it double. And like, that's just amazing. It really helps. And then I'll reshare it. And we'll just have one love Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter share love fest. It really, really helps. I mean, even the numbers today have gone up um, because you all are, uh, are are helping make this thing continue to go. And if you're a billionaire and you want to donate and get a tax write-off, feel free. We're more than glad to help. You can go to revolutionchurch.com and donate. It's at the top of the page. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot. I will see you in Seattle, Washington next week. And we'll cover a little bit more of the historical ground and then get into um, more of, of, of Paul's insecurities and uh, call for uh, reconciliation. All right. Bye-bye. for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.